0: Okay, good morning. We're ready to begin. This morning we have the privilege of studying together Parshas Mishpatim. Before we do, just an announcement, a reminder that uh, tomorrow is our monthly sunrise minion on the beach. Welcome in the month of Adar, the first Adar. And uh, we have the privilege of having two Adars this year. Um, So tomorrow morning, 6.45, the gazebo at the end of Palmetto Park Road. If you've not experienced it, it is a remarkable way to uh, greet the new month to enter Shabbos, and uh, to Davin. So, uh, we're anticipating a beautiful sunrise tomorrow morning. Is it, Is it only for boys? No, 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 we have a lot of women who come. So, everyone's welcome. Okay, parshas mishpatim. So, we'll begin with an overview of uh, the parsha, and then we'll get into the uh, nitty-gritty. A little bit. The, uh, Of course, we know last week's parsha. we received the Ten Commandments, our Sinai, Kabbalah Satorah, seminal moment in Jewish history, which transformed us as a nation, which gave us the divine charge of uh, the blueprint of how we are to live our lives, and uh, the Ten Commandments culminate at the end of last week's parsha. the beginning of the parsha we studied last week, about Yisro and his message of listening, and being a good listener, and then after the the Ten Commandments, uh, Moshe is instructed to build a... Misbehach. This week's parsha begins, and we delve right into. Um, it's an incredible transition from the highest heights, the divine inspiration, this incredible spirituality of the description of Har Sinai, and right away we're right into uh, civil law, jurisprudence, tort, all kinds of uh, incredibly detailed laws. And I think there's a very strong message just in that transition, which we're not going to spend time on. But the message is that. The life is not, uh, real spirituality is not experienced in the clouds, in the heavens, in the momentary experiences where we ascend on high. Those are special moments. Those are moments that we draw from and we return to with regularity to remember the inspiration. But real spirituality is rooted in the everyday In the everyday observance of civil law, of menschlichkeit, of uh, being a good person, of charity, of justice, commitment to righteousness. That's where real spirituality is. So you have people who are not observant of these laws... Seeking spirituality, Kabbalah, mysticism, (laughs) wanting to revisit a Harsinai experience. But the Harsinai experience, the Torah, I feel itself is telling us, is communicating in the transition from Parshas Yisro to Parshas Mishpatim, is telling us that real spirituality, real righteousness, is rooted in Parshas Mishpatim, in the uh, observance of the detailed law. So we get right into the detailed law. It begins with the laws of an Eved Ivri, of a Jewish uh, maid, of a Jewish um, manservant, Maid servant, and of course these laws are regularly misunderstood. I believe we spent time on this, if it wasn't last year, it was two years ago. But um, just very briefly, Judaism does not endorse slavery whatsoever. We're not a slave, a nation is slave people. When we talked about the, at least in the case of the Evit Ivri, the Evit Ivri is an incredible, if you understand the laws, it's really an amazing form of rehabilitation. The Evid Ivri is an individual who has stolen. It's an individual who's impoverished. It's an individual who has uh, strayed from the Jewish ethic and can't repay that which he stole. And so the Torah says, what should we do with him? We need to put him in rehab. So he goes and he lives with a a, a Jewish family who can model for him the proper behavior and ethics that a Jew is uh, commanded to live by. And is he treated as a slave? Does he go and suffer and persecuted and beaten? No. In fact, the Gemara talks about, Tosfus in particular as a law, that the slave has to be treated better than the owner. The owner is obligated towards the Evid Ivri more than he is to himself. Tosus gives the example, if the owner has one pillow, who gets to sleep on the pillow? The, the owner or the slave? the slave? The slave. So you see that the notion of the Evid Ivri, the design of the Evid Ivri is really a form of rehabilitation to uh, bring him back into society to be a fully functioning member of society rather than to be a form of slavery as mm. is often uh, misunderstood isn't mm-hmm. servant a better than translated than slave yeah maybe servant I, I would describe it as a um, he, he, he's <laughs> a he's doing an internship assistant he's an assistant Have an intern a protege a, however you want to define it differently yes I don't want to spend time on this we're just getting through the pressure yeah it takes place. Is there any hint of what you just said in the text? Yeah, the text is explicit about that. In other words, if you look at the text itself, you don't see the opposite. He works six years, he goes free in the seventh year. When he goes free, when she goes free, she gets gifts. You don't see any hint in the text to the opposite, that he's a slave. We're just translated the word evit incorrectly, inaccurately you don't see any hint that he's a a, a slave. Okay, we have the laws of a uh, person murders, a person kills a slave, bodily injury, we know the five uh, areas. Again, this is this is really, when we talk about in this country, uh, Judeo-Christian values, it's really Judeo-values, but the whole notion of justice, the whole justice system that we have, the whole system of charity, is based on this week's Parsha. It's based on Mishpatim. So even these, uh, these laws of... Uh, of uh, the results of murder and uh, what if a person what if a, we're not going to get into it the psukim described what if a person did an act that should murder but miraculously the individual lived and they died later are they still liable for capital crime all of this is from this week's uh, parsha what happens when you injure somebody do you have to pay their medical bills you have to pay the fact that they couldn't work you have to pay for all of these different embarrassments, the humiliation that they suffered, all of it comes from this week's death caused by an animal. If a person leaves a pit, if a person is negligent with their property and someone else trips... Again, Torah is not endorsing a litigious society, but the Torah has rules. If you're negligent with your property, if you're negligent with your real estate, and somebody uh, suffers as a result, the person steals livestock, so on and so forth. We're not going to obviously go through all these detailed laws. I want to actually skip. We're going to go to the end of the parsha, which is back to kind of the narrative, rather than the laws, because the laws are cumbersome. Our purpose is to be a text-based class, to analyze the parshanut. Not to spend our time going through the halacha, going through the law. I will just refer you to a kliyakar towards the beginning of the parsha, because this kliyakar is is important to understand. If you want to study parshas mishpatim from a text based perspective, or a parshanut perspective, which maybe we'll do next year, then you need to ask yourself why these laws. The Torah is replete with laws. This has many, many, maybe the most laws. But why why these laws? And is there any um, is there a theme to the the, the, the uh, chronology of the laws the way they're, they're depicted are they given in a particular order or are they just uh, randomly deposited before us so if you really want to study Mishpatan properly you have to ask those questions and some of the Mefarshim indeed do ask those questions the Kliyakar which I'm just talking while well, I'm trying to find it but it's not working uh, hold on Here it is. The Kliyakar. It's a... Don't look at it now. We're not going to look at it. But it's an important Kliyakar I refer you to because the Kliyakar gives a suggestion as to the order. First, he's a little rabbinic trash-talking. I always talk about I want to publish a book someday that quotes the rabbinic trash-talking when the rabbis... Many uh, <laughs> have attempted to give an order meaning to the uh, order of the uh, mitzvahs in this week's Mari, I found in a number of books, They're, they didn't find favor in my eyes, it's not even worth repeating what they had to say. So I'll tell you what I think it is, says the Kliyaka, <laughs> Rav Lunshitz. So he offers what I think is a very interesting uh, explanation, and a challenge is you go to the parsha and try to fit it in. He suggests that the order of the parsha follows the Aseris Adibros. God just gave the Ten Commandments, and now He extrapolates those laws, He expands on those laws, and that if you take Ten Commandments, put up the Ten Commandments on the whiteboard, blackboard when I was a kid, and smartboard if you live now, put it up however you want to put it up, and take your parshas mishpatim, and follow the order, and you'll see that He gives an example. Ever and is a response to Anochi Hashem al-okecha. Why is Evid Ivri parallel the first commandment, I'm the Lord your God? Because the master Because uh, we are because to be so slaves to God, God and God not, God. not slaves to other human beings. The Torah in fact says that. Why do we pierce the ear of the Evid Ivri? If the Jewish slave, the Jewish intern wants to remain in his rehab center and not go home, why do we pierce his ear? Because, because he heard. Because the very ear that heard Avadim La Avadim. Be my intern, God says, not an intern of my human beings. And he wants to stay even longer, we pierce his ear. So the Kliakar says, you see that Evid Ivri corresponds with I am the Lord your God. And if you continue throughout Parshat Mishpatim, he says, and we'll do this more next year, you uh, outline Parshat Mishpatim, you'll see that the order of the laws follows within the categories of the order of the Aseris HaDibros. I think a very uh, brilliant uh, suggestion, fascinating interpretation, challenges you. So the laws of the Parshat Mishpatim go on, the laws of different Shomrim, meaning, what is my... laws of liability, I would say. If I borrow something from you, what's my liability? What if it gets lost? What if it gets stolen? What if I'm negligent? If you pay me to watch it, I have a different level of liability. If I rent it from you, I have a different level of liability. In other words, the risk-liability ratio is a function of my responsibility. If I pay for it, versus if you're paying me to watch it, versus if I'm borrowing it, versus if I'm doing a favor and watching it for nothing, those are called the Dalit Shomrim. Those are the four different types of watch people. Shomrim, when I had to translate Shomrim. Again, I'm just trying to give you the example that Parshas Mishpatim has taken us from the spiritual to the mundane. From the highest heights of Harsinai, the seminal moment of receiving the Torah, when all of us saw the sounds and heard the lightning and, and felt the divine and God spoke to us and wow, it's unbelievable. To the... What's the law if you find something? What's the law if you owe somebody? What's the law if... And so on and so forth. A borrower, the laws of seduction, sensitivity to help those who feel abandoned, the commandment to extend free loans, which is fascinating. I may speak about it Shabbat this morning. All the other laws I understand. That law is unusual. That law is in great contrast to American civil law, to all secular law. Because when it comes to all secular law, law is in place not to define me as a good person. Civil law, criminal law, prevents me from being a bad person. Take American law. What makes you a good American? If If I don't murder, I don't steal, I don't this, I don't that, I pay my taxes. If I just do what's expected of me, I am a good person. Jewish law says, that doesn't make you a good person. That just means you're not a bad person. The fact that you do what's expected of you uh, doesn't make you good. That just makes you not bad. You didn't murder, you didn't steal, you didn't cheat on your taxes, you didn't... That doesn't make you good. Jewish law, the Torah, comes along and says, no, you have to be good. You have to extend free loans. Even though there's a time value of money and it will cost you something. If I lend somebody money, if I lend you a hundred, I'm not in a position to, so don't bother asking. But if I lend you a hundred thousand dollars for a year, you'll say, well, what's the big deal? I'm going to give you a hundred thousand dollars back. But if you know anything, economics 101, you know there's a time value of money. And that hundred thousand dollars for that year meant something to me. I'm forfeiting that value. And yet the Torah says, I have to lend for free, without interest. Why? Because the Torah is not just concerned with not being a bad person. The Torah is concerned with being a good person. And those are the laws of charity as well. You have the laws of the sabbatical, the three pilgrimage festivals, all defined to reunite the Jewish people, to bring us together three times a year, to go and conquer the land of Israel. And that brings us up to what our Parshah is going to be on today. Yes, okay. questions, I to brief questions. Here. And I heard this from I heard It was like a wow moment for me. Yes. Because when we study these halakas and we do these halakas, what distinguishes us is that we're doing it not to just be good, but we're doing it to be holy, to be connected to God, to bring down that light and do what He wants us to do. So right. it goes beyond being not being good. It goes beyond being good. Well, I, I, let me give you a preview of what I'm going to speak. With, with this that is, consciousness. Rarely, rarely, maybe I could count I could count on one hand with a number of fingers left over that I could tell you on a Thursday what I'm going to talk about on Shabbos. That does not ever happen. Rarely by Friday morning could I tell you what I'm going to talk about on Shabbos. But I happen to know this week what I want to talk about on Shabbos and that's what I'm going to develop. Which is, not, it's not a function of being good, it's a function of being like God. In other words, I would phrase it this way, and again, this is what we're going to spend our time on. God does not want us to serve Him, He wants us to be like Him there's a big difference he doesn't want us to serve him he wants us to be like him and Parshav Mishpatan is the blueprint for how to be like God how to be God-like how to imitate God and live those values that ethic those morals and so on and just as an example again you have to forget it within the next 48 hours I may say it (laughs) but that's what's going on I saw a beautiful interpretation when God visits Avraham and he's doing Bikr Cholim, and the Malachim come and Avraham abruptly ends his conversation with God in order to greet these angels. And Rashi there quotes that It is greater to greet guests than it is even to continue a conversation with God, with the Divine. What? Greater to greet guests? Human beings, lowly human beings, fallible, human, finite human beings is greater than a conversation with God? And if you understand this principle, you understand Yes. What Avram basically says to God at that moment is, God, I have a choice. I could talk to you, or I can go be like you. Which one would you prefer I do? Do you want me to continue to talk to you, or do you want me to go and be like you? God says, go be like me. And that's, how, why, he, that's why going and greeting the guest supersedes supersedes continuing a conversation with God. So Parshas Mishpatim is the blueprint for I don't know if I'm giving away my whole Russian now. But it's the blueprint for how to be like God. Okay, so we're going to start with... Yes, Rabbi? It's interesting to know that yeah, in right. the prior seed of there is there a deal with the famous word Naseh But Yeah, that's what we're going to get into now. In exactly. Rabbi Fox so, points out accurately that of Vinishma is in this week's parsha. That's, ex- that's a perfect segue for me, Rabbi. Thank you. Couldn't have planned that better myself. Perek Haftala, chapter 24, verse 1. Yoni. Uh, for- God so wants us to be like him. Which leader is this? Why does he treat us more harshly than the masses wants us to treat him? He only wants to know, if God wants us to be like him, why does he seem, sometimes seem to treat us harshly? So he's... More so than the masses of the slaves. More than... The masses of the slaves. The masses of the slaves was. That's a fantastic question. Not for parsha class. Now it's worthy. It's worthy of uh, examination. It's worthy of examination, but it's not for uh, not for now. Perach of David beginning of chapter twenty-four. Okay, this is that ends all of the detailed laws, and it gets this chapter now gets back to the uh, to the narrative. Okay, Moshe Amar to Moshe God said which is in itself kind of peculiar to Moshe God said we don't usually find that formulation we have va'idaber Hashem, mo'she all these kinds of things we don't have moshe amar to moshe god said Alay el Hashem, go ascend to God. Ata you and your brother and Nadav and Avihu, seventy-one of the elders, and the You should prostrate yourselves from a distance. Stand at a distance from God. Bow down. Wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Good. Right, so the first question. Let me if i phrase that as a question. Where? What's the... Par- that is what you asked that as a question. So where? What, what, the puzzle doesn't tell us. Where, what, when? That's exactly what we need to talk about. Let me introduce. This last part of the parsha Perik of is very unclear. When did this chapter take place? Well, we're about to read. Is, did this really happen before the giving of the Torah at Sinai? But for some reason, the Torah is recording it after. Did this happen right now? Notice that Moshe descended from the mountain, gave the Jewish people the Torah... And then this episode—when uh, did this happen—is very unclear. So let's read it, and you'll see why it's very unclear, why the commentators themselves struggle. What's really happening? So he said, uh, "You and your brother and Nadav and Avihu, Moshe, and seventy of the elders go ascend to God, but not too close. Stay at a distance." So Moshe came close; they did not. And the nation did not ascend with him. That in itself is unclear. When we just said everybody should go up, then it says Moshe alone went and the nation didn't go. Well, I know the nation didn't go because you just told me the only one should go, should Moshe and Aaron, Nadavaviyu and the Seventy elders. What's going on here? Nation Seventy Nadav el- Nadavaviyu, Aaron, who's going, where are they going, how far are they going, did everyone else stop? And Moshe continued. What's happening? <laughs> Moshe came to the people and he told them everything that God said and all the laws. The nation responded as one. Everything God said, we will do. Now, what do you mean, Vyavon Moshe? Moshe, you just told last I heard from Moshe, he was on his way up. Vanigash. He was ascending, getting close to God. Vaya he arrives at the people. I don't understand. It didn't mention that he came down. Shouldn't he have come down from wherever it is he went in order before he went to speak to the people? He's you're starting to see the ambiguity. There's a lot of There's a great lack of clarity here. But this is, of course, the origin of Nasa v'nishma. As Rabbi Fox pointed out, we associated with last week's parsha, with Yisro. With, oh, God gave the Ten Commandments, and you would expect the very next verse at the end of the Tenth Commandment to be Jewish people said, Nasa v'nishma. Nope. Not then. Not after, not till after all these laws are given in mishpatim. Not until now. Moshe wrote everything that God said down. He woke up in the morning. He built an altar. And his altar had twelve monuments corresponding with the twelve tribes. And he instructed the twelve young, younger people of B'nai Israel, to see what that means, the El, the Rashi says the Bechoros, the firstborns and they offered sacrifices they offered all different kinds of uh, sacrifices, elevation offerings, bulls to Hashem as feast, as Shlum and peace offerings to Hashem Vayikach Moshe, and I don't get grossed out. Chatzia Adam vayasem ba'aganos, vachatzia Adam zarak alam isbech. Moshe took. If you're squeamish, don't listen. Half the blood he put it in baskets and basins, and half the blood he sprinkled. He threw onto the altar. Vayikach Moshe Adam... Now, uh, sorry, Sefer Abris, that which maybe that which she just wrote down, or some other book called the Sefer Abris. To see what that is, this book of the Covenant, he read in the ears of the people. And they said, Now again, once they heard everything, and here is that famous phrase, Na and Ishma, we will do and we will listen." Now again, get grossed out. Moshe took the blood, the other half the blood. I'm sorry, Moshe took the uh, blood and he sprinkled it on the people. Uh, And he said this blood is basically, this blood is memorializing the covenant that God has created with you, all of these things. And then they go up. What do you mean? I thought they went up already. So did they get the instruction? Then they went to the people and then they went up? Okay. Vayaru es Yisrael. So what did they see? Who who went up? Moshe Aaron, the seventy elders, ascended as they had been instructed, and they saw an image. They had a sense of prophecy. They had a vision. And they saw the God of Israel. What does he look like? Under his feet was the likeness of sapphire brickwork. And it was like the essence of the heaven in purity. Like the essence, the core of the heaven, La Tohar in in this ultimate display of purity. Against the great men of the Jewish people, he did not stretch out his hand, meaning God. Why? Why did God not reciprocate when they had this vision? God somehow bestowed this this warmth on Moshe and Aaron but not on the elders of the great men why not on the great men? because while they saw God what were they eating? dinner Sorry. they were having their uh, airplane dinner their microwavable dinner sitting at the thing they're watching this vision of God and what are they busy doing? Pressing. they're busy eating they're busy eating so God did not respond ok and then there's a break you see that Samach represents a stuma it's a break in the portions even though the para continues that's not our way we organize the parshios, the narrative. That's the, the Torah's way of organizing the breaks in the narrative or suchos and stumos," when the line ends, or when there's a break in the line until the next line. So here you see there's a break, so we will pause. Okay. So what's going on here? What's going on here? You, you probably have heard the parsha mashbottam a million times. You never stopped and looked at this section and said, "What in the world's going on here? When did this whole thing take place? God says to Moshe, the elders ascend, they go, but only Moshe comes close, next thing you know, Moshe is in front of the people, he's reading them, he writes something down, he reads it in their ears, they memorialize it, he makes an altar, he sprinkles blood on the altar, sprinkles blood on them, it's a covenant, that then they go up, Moshe has a vision, Their vision. they see the vision, but God does not reciprocate to their vision, because they are eating and drinking while at this great moment. When did this whole thing... And, and by the way, when Getman Moshe reads this whole book to them, the whole people respond, Nasev v'nishma. So when did this take place? Obviously, that is the question. That is the question we are going to examine. Rashi, V'yel Moshe Amar Alei. Going back to the beginning of chapter 24. Rashi. So Rashi is of the opinion. Everyone see Rashi? Give you a minute to find it. Chapter 24, verse 1. V'yel Moshe Amar Alei. Zu Namra kodem Hadibros. Namra Alay. This whole episode happens before Harsinai, says Rashi. Rashi's of the opinion we know consistently, Ain Torah. The Torah is not written in chronological order, it's written thematically. For whatever reason the Torah wanted to place this here, we'll have to ask ourselves why. Because whenever you see something that's out of chronological order, you have to ask yourself why it's not enough to say oh no this is out of order it belongs somewhere else if it belongs somewhere else indeed why did God when he recorded dictated the Torah why did he place it here what was the message he sought to communicate but anyway Rash is of the opinion that this whole episode happened earlier they said so on and so forth okay the fourth day of Sivan okay the uh, Ibn Ezra is of a different opinion look at the Ibn Ezra (laughs) Ibn <laughs> <laughs> Ezra says, No, this is in the right place. Moshe came down. He told the Jewish people, Listen, this is what it's all about. I just spent 40 days on the mountain. God taught me the whole Torah. I'm back. Let me tell you what it's all about. It's all about living an ethical life, imitating God. Criminal law, civil law, civil jurisprudence, so on. And then Moshe says, are you, are you in? I've just returned. You agreed in principle, you heard the Ten Commandments. Now I'm giving you the details. Are you in? To which they respond. and <inaudible> And then God says to Moshe, I miss you already. After you get the confirmation from them, says the Ibn Ezra, after they confirm that they're still in, when they see the details, come back on top of the mountain. And who is there? You, Aaron, and his sons, Nadav and Aviyu, the 70 elders, and who are the 70 elders? Shema They are the holy, sacred firstborn. Okay, that's the Ibn Ezra's opinion. So you see a debate between Rashi and the Ibn Ezra. Everyone else weighs in on this as well. The Ramban, verse 1, First the Ramban quotes Rashi. Bayama are not in order at all. The and so on and so forth. Look at the second paragraph uqvar Who is the Ramban referencing? Who is Rabenu Avraham? no, he's referring to the, the Ibn Ezra. So first he quotes Rashi how everything is out of order and then he quotes the Ibn Ezra that no everything is in order and the Ramban continues and he agrees with I believe he agrees with the Ibn Ezra He agrees with the Ibn Ezra He agrees with the Ibn Ezra Look at the Orachaim HaKadosh a later commentary. Rashi, Benezra and the M'ban are all medieval commentaries. The Orachim is a relatively recent commentary. The Orachayim The Orachim says it's very clear that this is where it belongs. The Torah is written chronologically. Everything is in order. I don't need to provide you all the proofs. And I every, the, those who... The medieval commentaries agree with me. And he goes on and he talks about again, everyone's now going to get into the dates and the calendar and the details to try to prove their position. When did it happen? Before, did it happen? After, what's happening? See? Yes. You know, isn't there ever a time where it's sort of like meanwhile back at the ranch? In other words, the concept of Something or reflecting on something in a different way, of a different aspect, and it isn't that it's out of order, but it's like you, you can't, you um, can, can only you put one word at a time. On the page. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, though, is while I was telling you what was happening in that location, now let me tell you what was happening here. So, this is not doing that because these are the same characters. Moshe was just up in the mountain getting in Torah Har Sinai, and now we have this other description of him. We just need to know when did it happen. It's a, it's a, it's a factual question it was a different place I meant it was like sort of sort of simultaneous but a reflection like let's say you you know, you had an assembly of people and you were focusing on how this one looked and then you wanted to tell what that one looked like and that happened <coughs> at the same time but, but you maybe didn't tell it at the same time do you see what I mean? Yeah but, uh, but how do you say this happened at the same time? Everybody agrees this happened a different time some say it happened before Arsini some say it happened after Arsini nobody says this is Harsenai in another way. Described in another way. Maybe that's another interpretation. you have to write your own commentary. We'll study it. But, um, no, no, it's a possibility. But, but so far, you know, Rashi, uh, Ibn Ezra, Ramban, or Achayim, everyone who weighs in talks about, did this happen before our Sinai? This conversation, Moshe said that they should, and then, if it happened before our Sinai, it kind of makes sense. The distinguished leaders of the people should all come with you, Moshe, apart from the people on the mountain. They should wait at a distance, while you come closer, you then come down and read, record these words and read them in their ears and make a bris, and they say nazav make a mizbeach, make them twelve monuments corresponding with the twelve tribes. It kind of makes sense if it's all before Har Sinai. The only thing that doesn't make sense about that is not. why is it here? Why is it here? Any suggestions? But when it says El Moshe Amar, doesn't that necessarily refer to a story that happened previously? Otherwise, you would say Bayomer El Moshe. Why does it say the word vel amar? Right, so why is, it, wh- is that a hint? Alex is suggesting maybe it's a hint. El moshe amar, since that formulation is different, normally it's vaydaber ashel moshe, vayomer ashel moshe, el El moshe amar. It's, it's, is that a hint? Does that support the idea that it belongs here or it belongs earlier? Which one? <laughs> says earlier. Earlier. It says v-el, An extension of what, what's happened just before. Right, so the V is a Vav ha-chibur. The Vav connects it to what had happened before. So maybe you have these laws, and then V, that would support the Ibn Ezra that it's in the right place. And tell them all these laws, 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 and to Moshe, he said, God said, the Sforno deals with this. Look at the Sforno inside for a moment. The El Moshe Amar Alei. So this foreigner seems to say that this formulation, El Moshe, supports the fact that it's in the right place. Because really you have to read the entire pashas Meshbatim in brackets. God said to... Basically... To the people God said all these laws. And, and to Moshe and to God said come back up on the mountain. So what Moshe Amar says is read parts of in brackets as representing everything God said to the people. And now back to Moshe. To Moshe God said come on the heart. That's similar to what you were trying to say. Okay, yes, Ruth. Uh, usually the Bible goes on a verb. Like, like, for instance, the Bible usually goes on a verb. Here the Bible goes on a It's like, it's saying that like, uh, the scene is put in front of them. Right. But but then with Moshe, he said something, it was like a different chapter. It has nothing to do with... Uh, okay, possible, possible. Look at the Rashbam. I'm just trying to show you that everyone's weighing in on this. The things that you should... Again, the purpose of our class is text-based and to see what should bother us and not just to go to shul tomorrow, Shabbos, and and uh, hear Parsha's Meshbatim, but to stop and wonder as you're listening. The whole purpose is not to listen to the Parsha, it's to absorb the Parsha, to study the Parsha. So again, I'm trying to cultivate this awareness, this sensitivity, to ask, one second, when did that happen? Is that before, is that, uh, what's going on here? That's what was bothering them before. So, the Rashbam, Rasha's grandson, Rav Shmuel Bameyer, so before in Parsha's in in Parshav, he says, which is in Parsh's Yithro Hold on, hold on, hold on one second. In par in 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 right after the Ten Commandments, the people stand, stood from a distance, and Moshe approached God, who was cloaked in this uh, cloud, uh, where God was found. And God said to Moshe, this is what you should say to the people, you saw that God is with you, and so on. So the Rashbam here is quoting that. Everything until now was on the day that they heard... By the way, what does he call it? Yeah, the proper Aseris Hadvarim. The Torah itself calls it Aseris Hadvarim. When did we start calling it Asaris hadibros? I don't know. The Torah itself references it, talks about the Aseris Hadvarim, not hadibros. But anyway. The El Moshe, so the Rashbam says, all the parashios until now, from when, go back to Yisro, from when it says, Kosamar Bnei Yisrael, when God said to Moshe, so shall you say to the Jewish people, until now... All that happened on the day of the Ten Commandments. They received the Ten Commandments. To Moshe alone, God said, When you're coming down the mountain, I want you to come back up tomorrow. Moshe and then Moshe descended immediately. called and he told them everything that he heard from God on the mountain. The next day he built an altar and sacrificed. yamim. Allah. Then he went up, and he the um, cloud covered six days. The Moshe Amar Malach Allah Alay, El Hashem. By the way, here the Rashbam is is uh, sensitive to something else. None of us asked. El Moshe Amar. To Moshe, he said, Who's he? We all took for granted it was God. Um, but why would it be God if he was in the middle of a conversation? God says, Kosamar el Bnei Yisrael. Show, shall you say to the Jewish people. And if God's in the middle, and then he lists all the things to tell him, which is Parsha's Mishpatim, and now he's telling him, come back up. So why does it say El Moshe Amar? He's speaking to Moshe. Does, he doesn't have to say El Moshe Amar. So that clearly must have bothered the Rashbam. So the Rashbam, says who says it? the El Moshe Amar Malach Alei El Hashem now that Moshe descended and he's built the altar and he's memorialized the experience of our Sinai now the Malach says to him so El Moshe Amar is not God according to the Hashem the Malach and how do you know that? what's his evidence? because it doesn't say Elay it doesn't say ascend to me as it says by the way in the next section Passuk Ascend onto the mountain to me and be with me and be there. So it doesn't say that here. It doesn't say El It says El Hashem to God. So what does that indicate? It's not God saying it. So the Rishpon comes to the conclusion: it's a Malach. It's a messenger of God, an angel of God. Who is saying it? On God's behalf, extending the invitation, but it's not God Himself. Again, another example of the sensitivity of the text. The Rosh Baham was bothered by something none of us asked. Who is saying it? it? can't be God. It says El Hashem. God wouldn't speak about Himself in third person. And that's why it's via Moshe Amar, right? Because it's an angel, not God. Is like, I don't right. know how it is in the Torah, but there's a Yeah, yeah, that's the pay is psucha. It means that there's a a break in the text. Yes. Right, when he came down the mountain, hold on, he broke the first Uchah, so this must be referring to Luchashneos, because he didn't build the altar for the first time. Right. This all must be regarding the second Uchah. The whole Shmos is, you know, it's because we're going to get into the eagle in a second. Right? This must be... We're going to get Shumah, tetzava. we're going to get into the Mishkan for the next two weeks. Then we're going to get into Kisisa. We're going to learn about the eagle. Then we're going to get into Vayaka Pakude the Mishkan again. But we know the eagle happened before, again, subject to debate, but before the Mishkan, and the eagle happened before this. So, so this must be. It's well it's that must be. No, no. It's, it's it's that's the debate. debate. How could he have built a, uh, the mizbech when he came down the mountain and smashed them? That's the debate. what, 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 And the finish. Sh- the finish after sh- the breaking in sh- the angle, is it LO Is it the first trip up or the second trip up? Right, right, right. That's what that's what Marshall Leib is asking. Okay, continuing. Shh, shh, shh. We are very upset with him. We don't know what's happening. What's the matter? Did the yeah, ego so happen after this? After, this, after, it's this, it's after it's this whole geschichta did g- ego Well when we get to Parsh's Kisisa, so we'll have to ask that question. But according to many opinions, it happened earlier. The ego's out of order. The ego happened earlier than this. Because again, as Bajlai was pointing out, it wouldn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Okay. Let's try to get past the first Pasuk here. Uh pasuk base. Moshe So then Moshe approaches himself, the nation don't go. Moshe comes down and he tells them everything, Vaya'an kol ha'am. What should that say? Let's again, sensitivity to the text. The grammatically, in Pasuk Gimel, it should have said, kol ha'am. Anu. The all nation in the plural. Vaya'an kol echad. Kola, Vaya'an kol Because it's kol echad. So look at the uh, Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra was bothered by that. Vay'an kol echad. Ki iluhu hu echad. Yeah. Yeah. The text says, they all still plural. It's still many. The shu's motor. I understand, but it should I'm not singular. is Am is, no, is, is singular. but it represents the plural. So the Yevanezer says So what, what do you see again? What is that reminiscent of? Unity. Yeah, ki should have said Vayachanu. Rashi says, and if you don't know this Rashi, you should from every time you see the BRS logo. Ki ishachad b'leiv That when the Torah takes something that should be plural and formulates it in the singular, it's to tell you that at that moment, that plurality had achieved a unity. Had achieved a sense of feeling together. Of oneness. There was no split. No division within them. So here too, when God, when Moshe tells the nation everything that God said and all the laws, they answered as one. There was no; they didn't have to have a special board meeting to debate. Should we accept? uh, Should we not accept? Are we in? Do we want to amend it? What do we do? Who's taking the minutes? No. As one. See, by the way, the evidence it should say Vaya'anu is it says Vayomru. It should say Vayomer. If you believe that Am is so singular, why does it say Vayomru? Why doesn't it say Vayomer? So you see that again, the Vayan Vaya'an is that they answered as one. And they said everything God says, Na'aseh. Now the Ibn Ezra, by the way, is supporting his position. The Ibn Ezra is of the opinion that this is in the correct place. It's after Moshe came down from the mountain, and if you look, at Vayavo Moshe lo hisker vayerid minaharki ein sorach. The term Vayavo Moshe besorach machana Yisroel doesn't describe Moshe's descending from the mountain because it didn't need to. Yeah, this wasn't necessary. Wasn't necessary. Ibn mean, Ezra is pointing out, supporting his position. Yes. First they say Nase. Last time they say Nishma, and here they say Nase. Now here they just said Nase. We didn't get up to Naseh and Nishma yet. Here they just said Nase. No, but before they say Nishma. Remember When they get the Ten Commandments... Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and now it's here in Naseh... Wow. Okay. Summarize it... Down. Yeah... Yeah... Okay, so Moshe writes everything down... He wakes up in the morning the next day... He builds an altar... And he builds uh, 12 monuments... Builds 12 monuments... Uh, paralleling the 12 tribes... Says the Rashbam... Why was that necessary... To show that all twelve tribes opted in, they were all part of this kiyum They were all part of this acceptance. All part of this acceptance. They were all part of this. Now, let me just say, and I'm thinking maybe I should use this for my Josh the chefs. So, but yeah. Now, uh, let me uh, let me let me loosely let me let me say it. Um, Briefly, and, and I can leave myself room to elaborate on it another time. But I think this, this experience of Parshas Mishpatim and the way the Torah is describing this is, is so critical because I think it's one of our biggest challenges as an Orthodox community. What well, do I mean by... I know this is a parsha class. I'm giving my editorial comment for a moment because I can. The, the, um, one of our biggest challenges is being a community of people who have not made the choice to opt in but I've simply inherited this lifestyle. And I'm not th- talking for a moment about Balei Tshuva. I'm not talking about Balei Tshuva, who clearly have made the choice to opt in. I'm not talking about converts, who are, other movements call them Jews by choice. But I'm talking about people who are, uh, you know, I hate the term FFB, from, from birth, but the people who are born into this. genetically. In other words, I argue, one of the biggest challenges, I, I tell my rabbinic colleagues this all the time, one of the biggest challenges of inspiring a uninspired modern Orthodox community or some of the segments of it is that there are people who come to shul on Shabbos, they come to shul seven days a week and and the only thing keeping them part of this kosher community, Shabbos community, shul community is that they don't have the courage to leave. In other words, they haven't opted in, they just don't have the courage to opt out. They're, they've been doing it since they're born their parents do it they have a social pressure to do it They, family pressure to do it they, just, they really only have one foot in the door their other foot desperately wants to be in the secular world and wants to be eating in non-kosher restaurants and wants to be part of a secular society and wants to be pursuing secular values and wants to be the only thing keeping them here is that they don't have the courage to leave And I think the challenge uh, we have as a community and the challenge we have vis-a-vis our teenagers our youth in particular is how can we get them to opt in? Not how can we get them to be obedient. How can we get them to do this lifestyle? Because doing the lifestyle is not opting in. Doing the lifestyle is not Nasa Vinishma. Doing the lifestyle is because you don't have that your parents want you to. That's their expectation of you. That's the this, that's the that. It's not opting in. So I think that this is a model, this is a challenge we have to ask ourselves is, and again, i will spend more time on it another time, how do we get ourselves, how do we get others to not only not opt out. It's not enough not to opt out. We need to opt in. We need to be challenging. How do I grow spiritually? How do I find meaning? How do I find purpose? How am I elevated by this experience? How am I working on my relationship with Hashem? Am I talking about Hashem? Am I concentrating when I'm Daving? Am I opting in? My opting in. So I think that's, that's, that's what the Jewish people here are doing. This, this period of, of Nishma, of Naseh, of nasev and Nishma. It is a transition of opting in to a movement. Moshe builds this monument because it is memorializing this great moment of opting in. This great moment of opting in. And he makes sure that it corresponds with the 12 tribes, as the Rashbam says, Shekulam nisratsu b'kium abris. No one can ever look back and say, I'm from the tribe of uh, Shema, Yisachar. We never opted in. Show me that we opted in. Yeah, the rest of the nation were in. My great-grandparents never accepted this contract, this deal. So no, Moshe says, 12 monuments for 12 tribes. This was a universal acceptance. Everybody there opted in. Did everybody? Some people didn't. I thought some. Not every single Jew there opted in. Think everybody opted in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ushtem matzeva, not matzevos. It should say matzevos, matzeva. And again, it shows. Yeah, again, it shows that there were. It shows that each one. Again, it's it's our tagline valuing diversity, but celebrating unity. The diversity is represented by the 12 tribes. Each of them had their own monument. But Matzeva is in the singular because the monuments all were celebrating a unified experience and commitment. Okay, continuing. Okay. Continuing. It's always says, usually say they send six Ha'am, not na'are. Ah, good, that's a question. You want to take a moment to look at that? Where is that? Sorry. Hey. Okay, perfect, that's what we're up to. Vayishlachas na'are B'nei Yisrael olos. Moshe sends the naare. A moment ago they were described as the Zikne Yisrael, the 70 elders. Who are these na'areh? Who are these uh, young ones? So Rashi says, Ha'bechoros. They are the... Firstborn. <laughs> Where did Rashi come up with that? <laughs> oh, so look at the Sivsech HaChamim. Vav. Because it, the firstborn only lost their privilege of serving as the priests with the Chayta Egel, that's when the Leviim took over. Levim gained that distinction. But the Chetah Egal, the sin of the golden calf, has not yet occurred. So right now, the Bechorim still have that distinction of being the priests. And therefore, if anyone's going to offer these sacrifices, who is Moshe going to send for? Not the elders, he's going to send for the Naare, he's going to send for the firstborns, for the firstborn because they represent at this time, the priests. Good? Okay that makes more sense. The uh, Ramban also weighs in on this, Na'arei b'nei Yisrael, hema bakhoros kederei Onkelos. Onkelos himself when he translates Ushlach ya' bakhrei b'nei Yisrael, targum Onkelos. Onkelos translates Na'arei as bukhrei, the the um <speaking in foreign language> not, not the bacher, bachrum is with the khas. <speaking and foreign language> <speaking in foreign language> <Therias> the bachor. the firstborn. It says the Rambam, that's nice, but why didn't the Torah just say it? Why do we have to use a euphemism? Why are we using this other name? Na'are, why firstborn? You could have a sixty-year-old firstborn. He would be very happy to be called a Na'ar, a lad. But why is the Torah calling if it's the firstborn? Oh, so you read ahead. Since we've already referred to the Zikenim, who were to ascend with Moshe, and who are going to have this vision, in contrast to the Zikenim, we refer to the firstborn as the Na'are. <coughs> because in contrast, they are young. Or the Ramban continues... By using the term Naare, you're showing that they, are not, they were not um, identified, recruited to offer the sacrifices because of their great wisdom. Indeed, we know they didn't have yet great wisdom because they're only Naare, not zikne. Zikna is associated Zeshakana Chachma. Zakein stands for, is an acronym for Zeshakana Chachma. He who has acquired wisdom. Didn't know that. Which is why we we, we the Torah requires us to Torah requires us to honor somebody who's older Can you say that because we Six think. Sixty-nine years chachma. Another noun is not for chachma. Kana chachma. The uh, okay. why? Because we assume that the more life experience a person has, sh- 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 the more life experience they have, the more wisdom that they have. That's why they save a takum. You stand for a rise for a person. So, these people were not chosen for distinction of, of bringing the sacrifices because of their wisdom. That's what the Zakenim are for. They are only because they are firstborn. It's birth order alone that gives them distinction. So, to show that, the Ramban says they're called Nare. They don't have wisdom. They're not Zakenim. They're the opposite. They're narim. Narem. They're young. They're only chosen because they are... Or the Ramban gives a third interpretation. Then a Naar. What imagery does a Naar give you right away? The innocence. The are... Innocence. Mm-hmm. Yosef's called a Naar even though he's older. Yitzchak's called a Naar even though he's older. Naar also reflects a certain sense of purity, of Innocence. So these individuals, it's not a, it's not, uh, it's not condescending to call them young, even though they're older. It's a compliment to call them uh, young because it's implying that they are the chosen. They are, they have retained their innocence. They have retained their sense of purity. Yes. There's an expression sometimes. Yeah, beautiful. The uh, there was a great Tana who was called Shmuel Akatan. Shmuel Akatan. Why was he called Shmuel Akatan? He was so, so part of it was his humility. But Rabbi Salavetsik explained the great Tana Shmuel Akatan, who was far from a young man, who had the wisdom of all that life could offer. He was called Shmuel Akatan because he never lost his innocence. So the Rabbi Salvechik would say, when we wish Ze Akatan Gadol Yiyah. We wish and we hope that this child, this katan, will emerge to be a gadol, will emerge to be an adult. And the bar mitzvah, Rav Shechter, uh, I've heard say, in the name of the Rav, that the the bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, the young person goes from being a katan, a minor, to being a gadol, an adult. But our wish and our hope for them is that they remain like Shmuel a katan, become an adult in your maturity, in your level of responsibility, but remain a katan in your innocence and in your purity. Because what happened? because what happens often we become hardened by life the more of an adult we become the more cynical the more skeptical the more suspicious the more paranoid and the the harder we become the child is innocent and loving and pure and that's the hope shmuel katten was able to retain that which is why shmuel katten was the one chosen to be able to author special prayer Don't when others couldn't the ones. not because he was little but because he maintained that innocence he didn't have the cynicism that the rest of adult society around him had so that's the the V'yishlach has nare B'nei Yisrael. The Rabbin is saying, these Bechor, they were adults, but they're called nare because they had, they had succeeded in retaining their innocence. Okay, a couple more points because we're already out of time for a change. Moshe reads this, uh, these words. He recorded the words of the Torah and he reads it in the ears of the Jewish people in Pasuk Zayin. The Sforna points out, am mahim muta'im. Moshe reads it, why does he read it to them? Because it would be wrong for them to accept something they never heard. If they had said yes, if Moshe came and he said, look, I just came back from God and he's got a set of rules for you. And they said, doesn't matter what they are, we're in, we're in. So according to this foreigner, later a generation could come and say, look, we never really accepted it. How could you say we accepted it? You had me sign my name on the last page, I never saw the contract. So therefore, Moshe, he said, <laughs> Moshe reads and presents to them the entire contract and it's only when they hear the whole contract can they respond? which the Sforno continues <laughs> We will do that which we just heard Moshe say Okay Now just as an aside, the Gemara in Shabbos records, Gemara in Shabbos tells us that at that moment, angels, 600,000 angels descended from heaven, whatever number of angel, angels corresponding to the amount of Jewish people that were there, and they placed two crowns on top of the Jewish people. One crown for Na'asa and one crown for Nishma. A crown for the fact that they said we will do and a crown for we will listen. Asks the Maharsha on that Gemara, why'd they get two crowns? When, once they said we will do, obviously you have to say we will listen if you come up to me and say I need to do a, would you do me a favor and you say absolutely count me and I'll do the favor you then need to hear what the favor is that's not something which is so virtuous the great virtue the great act was putting Nasa before Nishma saying we will do before even Nishma we will hear so I asked the Marsha why did they get two you should get one crown for putting Nasa before Nishma get one crown so the Masha answers something consistent with what the svarno just said. It says no, nishma. They already knew. They already knew. They heard from Moshe. What's the nishma after Nasa? Read the pasuk. Moshe read to them, and they said, "Everything you ask, Nasa, we will do." What does it mean, Vinishma? And we will listen. You just heard. You don't need to listen again. What is v'nishma? Moshe just told them everything. Think about it. I say to you, I need a big favor. I need a ride to the mall. You say, no problem. I'll give you. I'll do whatever you need. What do you need me to do? <laughs> I just told you, I need a ride to the mall. So what's going on? So the masha says, you know why they get a second crown for a v'nishma? Because v'nishma is, yeah, I heard what you want me to do, but it's not just that. You see, if you ask me to do something, and I say, I'm in, count me in, I'm going to do it. It's a phenomenal thing that I'm willing to do it. But you know what? Maybe I'm just willing to do it because I'm willing to do it, but I don't really care what it is. I'm not looking to understand what it is. I don't really care about it. I'm just doing it because he asked me to do it. Nishma is, not only are we willing to absolutely do it, we're interested in understanding why. I'm interested in understanding why. So, you know, my, my wife, my spouse, could ask me something, and I could say, fine, I'll do it. But it's a whole other level of the relationship if I say, tell me why you want me to do that. Why is that meaningful to you? How did you come to that conclusion? What's that all about? Why is that important to you? Vinishma is not about the instruction. It's Vinishma is we want to plumb the depths. We want to understand. We want to examine. We want to go even further into what it's all about. So that, Barashah says, that indeed is worthy of a second crown. So there's two crowns. The first crown is for putting Nasa before Nishma. The fact that we will do before we will listen. And the second crown is that even though we're already committed to do we are still are interested in listening. We want to understand, we want to study, we want to absorb, we're still committed. Nasa vinishma, And that makes sense according to the Sforna. The kliyakar. again, we're out of time, so let me just reference you. Learn that lesson. It's vital that Congress should learn that lesson and read the health bill and other things before, yeah, before signing. Yeah, it's a good point. The, uh, I'll just close by telling you because we're out of time. The kliyakar. yeah the Kliyakar again is going to plug in. How does Nasa Venishma fit in to the two opinions about when this happened? If you believe that this was after Harsinai, according to the Ibn Ezra that everything happened in order, only now they say Nasa Venishma. I thought Nasa Venishma was earlier. So if you look at the Ibn Ezra, We don't have time to go into it, but I refer you to the Kliyakar who's going to try to say how does this statement of Nasab and Ishma fit into the two opinions of did this happen earlier or did this happen afterwards Okay, we're going to stop here have a fantastic Shabbos